Live. Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Ready for this. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, which is New York Sports Talk from Long Suffering Fam. Your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. We're going to get you caught up on the world of college basketball. It's a very fun month of November, early December here in the sport. We're joined again by Troy Moriel, the host of the Seeing Red Podcast. We're going to break it all down for you. The highlights from November, some interesting facts on NTEs, break down some of the locals, all that good stuff and more. Also, be joined for week 14 NFL picks by Martino Puccio. Talk some Jet football, another bad loss to the Jets against the Eagles. We'll break all that down as we get to the picks in just a bit. Make sure you're locking into the show for six two-minute drill. I'll give you my reaction to the college football playoff, the top four reveal. No surprise there, but I do have some thoughts on what it could mean for going forward, the matchups, and what the system needs to do. But we'll get it all started here with our opening tip. We're going to dive into what you missed so far, a big picture view on the college basketball landscape right after this. Ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time here. And I want to talk about the college basketball because I feel like, as he said before with Troy on the podcast, the college basketball in November and December is one of the most underappreciated sporting things on the calendar. Whether it's people watching the NFL as get close to Thanksgiving, the NBA season starting, the hockey season starting, MLB free agency and the lockout, college football. You missed all of it. I can understand. It's been a lot of fun, though, the college basketball. The quality of basketball has been outstanding. There have been a lot more returning players than usual. The NIL legislation is a big part of that. We led to some instant classics. We had a lot of March-worthy slugfests in November. First week of the season, UCLA-Villanova went to overtime at Paul Pavilion. UCLA won. Epic showcase basketball here. We've had Villanova and Purdue in the Hall of Fame tip-off play an outstanding game. Duke and Gonzaga played a thriller in Vegas. Duke picked up a win. Gonzaga and Alabama last weekend played a tremendous game in Seattle. Alabama came out shooting hot, winning that game. It feels like no matter where you look, there's a great game on somewhere. That has not been the case in sport for a long time. And the good thing is you don't know where it's coming from. There is no clear net favorite either. I think it makes the sport even more better than it could be. We have a lot of great teams in here, including current number one Purdue. Up there for the first time in program history. They've done some good things in the non-conference play. As you said, they beat Villanova. They beat Tennessee. And I felt they beat North Carolina in the Hall of Fame tip-off. They dismantled Florida State, the Big Ten AC Challenge. The Boymakers are one of just a dozen undefeated teams at the end of last week coming into it. He was the time maintaining it. The Big Ten still loaded. Gonzaga was number one. They fell back to the pack. They lost to Duke, Alabama in the last week, so they're not unbeatable. Duke beat them, got number one last week. Blew a 13-point lead. Ohio State lost there in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. It is now out of the top spot. Whether you throw in teams like Baylor, who stampeded through the battle for Atlantis, UCLA is a big threat. 
There's a lot of talent here in the top of the pool. Also, some plenty of dramatic upsets along the way. I mentioned Ohio State and Duke. Iona. How about them, by the way? Non-conference, great schedule. Go beat Alabama in Orlando in the ESPN Events Invitational, 72-68. First win in program history against a top 10 team. First win for a Mac school against a top 10 team. Dayton beat Kansas, also beat her in Orlando. Went out to win the whole thing, which is pretty crazy. Seton Hall won at Michigan. The list goes on. And as the great John Rothstein would say, this is only December. Let's get more into the world of college basketball here. We'll talk more college hoops with Troy Mariello right after this. All right, we are back here talking college basketball, catching up on what's been a very fun season so far. Join me today, as we did throughout March, as we did last month to preview the season. Troy Morial, the Seeing Red Podcast, is back. Troy, how are you? I'm doing well, Mike. Uh, happy to be here again. I'm happy here, too, and this is a lot of fun. This season, I think, has been so enjoyable. The quality of basketball is so great. What do you think of what we've seen over the first month of the action? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, there's been you know a couple teams that have really uh, shined and, and I'm sure that we'll get to them in a second, you know, that have kind of been unexpected. Uh, yeah. We've had a lot of high quality, high level uh, games that are, that are, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about how they're not being played at really the best uh, windows of time, but you know, some high level games and it's, it's great to have the crowds back and it's great to have fans back in the building and uh, you know, not really many games. I know that there have been some games postponed, but not a ton of uh, postponements or having to worry about postponements. So yeah, it's good to kind of have everything back to pre pandemic levels and the crazy environments that we've seen that, you know, make college basketball what it is. So it's been good to definitely get the season off to a good start so far. It has. I mean, apart from, I think Washington's men's teams had an issue with the COVID. I know the Iona women's teams had an issue with the COVID, but apart from those two really haven't had many COVID issues and the quality of play, there's so many players being back off experience rosters. These gains have been epic. We've had some like March level action in November, which you don't usually get. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and like you mentioned, a lot of players coming back, you know, I think that that was, you know, one thing about the, the NIL deals that uh, was a, a really one of the biggest positives of that is, you know, you're seeing a lot of guys that maybe would not have been lottery picks in the NBA that probably would have gone on to play either overseas or in the G League. You know, they elect to come back to school. And I think that just leads to, you know, a higher level of competition at this time of year when you have guys that are in their, you know, third and fourth year in college, as opposed to, you know, coming in and playing their first collegiate games or, you know, playing with a new team. When you have that kind of carryover from year to year, yeah, it's going to lead to higher level games in November and December. And that's what we've seen so far. Yeah, let's do some big picture stuff here. Let's start off with Gonzaga, who was the preseason number one. They looked dominant early on. They dismantled Texas. They blew out UCLA and Vegas. But the wheels have come off a little bit the last couple of weeks. They lose to Duke out in Vegas the second game. They Third game they play out there, actually. They struggle at home against Tarleton, which is like a very low major program they got a bye game for. And then Alabama shoots them out of the gym in the first half. Gonzaga comes back, falls short, loses. Now they've lost two of their past three games. So what do you think is wrong with Gonzaga right now? Yeah, I'm not ready to, uh, you know, to press the panic button just yet for for Gonzaga. Uh, you know, they lost a tough game to Duke. Duke was number one uh, as of last week. Duke's going to be, a, you know, a top, top five, top ten team all season long. That was a close game. Like you mentioned, that was an NCAA tournament level game. 
Uh, the game against Tarleton, I think you just throw it out the window. It's, it's sandwiched in between two two really important big games for them, so that's obviously a big letdown spot. And then, like you mentioned, the game against Alabama. Alabama couldn't miss in the first half, it felt like, in that game. And obviously, Gonzaga tried to make the comeback but wasn't able to do so. Uh, you know, it's, it's a team. They have some new pieces. They have some, you know, guys trying to fit in. Obviously, Holmgren is, is the big uh, new guy trying to come in. But, you know, I don't think that Gonzaga was ever going to go undefeated this year. I think it was unrealistic to expect them to, to win 30, 30 games in a row or win their first 30 games of this season like we saw last year. They obviously beefed up, beefed up their non-conference schedule to, you know, kind of mitigate the, the fact that they don't play in a great conference. So, you know, they're, they're playing a lot of tough teams. They're going to lose a couple of those games. Uh, they still do have, I believe, one or two big uh, non-conference games remaining. I think they play Texas Tech in a couple of weeks. So they have an opportunity to kind of right the ship before conference play. Uh, I'm not freaking out about it, Gonzaga. I, I still think that they're, you know, the best team in the country. I still think that they're uh, one of, if not the favorite, to win the national title. It's just going to take some time, you know, and it, it was unrealistic to expect them to go out and, and you know, be a, you know, a 29 and one team or whatever going into uh, going into March Madness. So not not ready to to totally freak out on them just yet. Yeah, I did check. I'm checking out the schedule right now. They do have a Texas Tech game coming up on Saturday the 18th on neutral floor. They have Washington yeah. coming in this weekend off their COVID issues. That should be a good bounce back spot for Gonzaga here. I'm not worried about them long term. The thing yeah. that concerns me with them is sort of like, did they peak too early? Whereas they just put on these dominant performances against Texas, against UCLA, and they were blowing all, all the non-conference teams they play out of the water. And now they're a bigger target in the backs and you get big efforts. The WCC is pretty strong this year because you got a couple, I think in the last college insider mid-major poll, the, the top four teams in it were all from that conference. Yeah. And yeah, that could also, you know, kind of work to their favor. If, if the conference is maybe a little bit stronger, you know, you know, BYU is going to be really good. Uh, I think Saint, uh, San Francisco is also unbeaten. Uh, St. Mary's is all, always a good program. So maybe they will get maybe a little bit more tested in that conference than they normally would. So maybe that could also be a positive for them. But yeah, I mean, their whole season is always, you know, determined really in the first couple of weeks of March. So, you know, to, to really have any sort of broad statements about Gonzaga uh, in December, it, it's, it's tough right now. It is tough right now. Let's go on to the new number one in this week's poll, Purdue, up top for the first time in program history. It's amazing how long they've been great at basketball. And you want to talk about them last month. Uh, they were a team we liked. You said Final Four potential. I was right there with you. Like, I think it's nice for us to see that the Boilmakers are making it look pretty good so far. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they just got so much depth with uh, Jaden Ivy, Jaden Ivy, Zach Eady. Uh, Trevion Williams coming off the bench, who I thought was going to be one of the best players in the conference. They just have so much depth. Uh, they've been so impressive so far this season. Yeah, they're, they're making us look smart right now. Uh, I, I think that they're, you know, a Final Four caliber team. I think that this is the year that they finally kind of break through and uh, and reach that Final Four. And yeah, they've, they've, you know, really, really been impressive. They played a couple of high-level games. That game against Villanova a couple of weeks ago was really, really fun to watch. And yeah, I mean, you know, as of right now, obviously it's December. We're still three months away from the tournament. But when you're talking about a short list of, of teams that can, you know, have that Final Four potential and be on the road to the Final Four, I think Purdue has to, you know, start and end that list. Yeah, I love this too. I love what they did in the uh, big in the uh, Big Tennessee Challenge where they dominated Florida State. They made a statement yeah. where they beat Villanova in the uh, Hall of Fame tip-off event we loved in the preseason. And the thing impressing most of them was that they had a tough game with Iowa right after that game, the first conference game of the year. They struggled early, found a way to win that game. Stuff like that makes you take them seriously as a title contender. 
Yeah, exactly. And the Big Ten is going to be, it's going to be such a battle. <laughs> you know, there's so many good teams in the Big Ten. Um, you know, I know that, you know, some people like to, to rag on the Big Ten, and I, I rag on the Big Ten a little bit as well. But, you know, there are so many talented teams in the Big Ten. When you look at Purdue, Illinois, uh, Indiana, Ohio State, Minnesota's unbeaten, Wisconsin, you know, Michigan isn't even playing well right now. There's just, there's so many solid teams in the, uh, in the Big Ten. It's going to be a battle, so they're going to certainly be battle-tested for sure. Uh, they're going to pick up some losses at some point, you know, playing in that conference. But yeah, right now uh, I, I have to say Purdue is, is my personal favorite uh, to win the national title. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of the Big Ten, let's go to the Big Ten AC Challenge, which happened last week. It's the, the big non-conference that I look forward to every year because you get a bunch of premier teams playing each other. And the Big Ten won this year. They picked up eight wins in 14 contests. They were up six too early. The last game featured a bunch of like the dregs of the Big Ten getting in the mix here, which didn't help their cause. But I think there was some interesting stuff to take out of this event. What did you, your big takeaway from this uh, ACC Big Ten Challenge? Yeah, I have two. The first one, uh, Ohio State taking down Duke. That was a really impressive win for the Buckeyes. You know, that, that entire second half, it really felt like, you know, Ohio State was going to kind of keep getting close, keep getting close, and, uh, you know, not be able to kind of to pull into the lead and get kind of pull away in that game. They really shut that, uh, shut Duke down in the last couple of minutes of that game. Uh, they played a really solid, you know, final 10, five, 10 minutes of that game, really impressive win for them. I thought EJ Liddell was fantastic in that game. So, you know, I'm, I'm very impressed with Ohio state taking down Duke, a young Duke team, uh, you know, on the road, tough game for them. Uh, but that Ohio state really, really impressed me. And then, you know, the following night, uh, Michigan, who kind of looks like a mess right now. They obviously got a win over the weekend, but getting blown out in the second half by North Carolina. Uh, North Carolina really flexed their muscle. I think outscored them by like almost 20 points in the second half of that game. So, you know, Michigan's got some stuff to work on for sure. They've already dropped a couple of the games this season, uh, but North Carolina was really, really impressive. And, you know, I, I think North Carolina unranked right now, or was unranked at the time, you know, could, you know, kind of fly a little bit under the radar this season, but I think that they got a really talented team as well. So those are my two big, uh, two big takeaways in the two big games, but there were some incredible games in the, in that, uh, in that entire challenge over the, over the two days that it was. Yeah. I think the best one by far is the double overtime game between Syracuse and Indiana. That was fantastic. Mm -hmm. I love that game. I think the big takeaway for me is obviously the size we mentioned with Purdue's domination is sort of the like teams behind the, the teams at the top of the AC did not do very well. The ones that rejected yeah. it. Well, I mean, Florida state gets blown out. Virginia loses a game to Iowa, which is a bad loss. And Iowa was not expected to do much heading into this season. And Duke mentioned 13-point lead at halftime against Ohio State and gets that score 41-23 after the break to lose by five. Mm -hmm. That's not good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. The ACC has been been a real uh, letdown so far this season. Like you mentioned, Florida State. I thought Florida State was going to be a really good team this year. Uh, they've really struggled. So, yeah, uh, you know, I, I mean, there's a lot of time for the ACC, but I think as of right now, they only have one or, one or two ranked teams in, uh, in their entire conference. So, you know, there's time for the ACC to pick it up, but that was certainly not a, an impressive uh, couple of days for them against the Big Ten. No, and luckily those were all played at reasonable times, which is not something we could say with some of the early season showcase games because we had a <laughs> lot of great games in early November. We had UCLA taking on Villanova out in, out in the West Coast. We had Gonzaga hosting Texas, Gonzaga, UCLA, Duke, UCLA, Duke, Gonzaga. All those games had one thing in common. They started after 10 o'clock on the East Coast. UCLA Villanova was the worst start at 11.30 p.m., which, I mean, if you're a Villanova fan, that was brutal to have to stay up and watch that game and then them lose in overtime. Duke, mm -hmm. like, Duke, the Texas-Gonzaga game was 10.30. UCLA-Gonzaga uh, Gonzaga was 10 o'clock on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, and then 
Duke and and Dick Duke is that was that was that uh, ten thirty on the Saturday yeah. after Thanksgiving. Yeah, or yeah, either a Saturday or a Friday night. Uh, it was Friday. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it might have been a Friday, but you know, I I don't fully understand it. I mean, all the games were on the West Coast, so I guess you kind of give them a pass for that. But yeah, it's like you said, you know, people complain about how no one no one watches or no one really watches college basketball on a national level until March, really. Well, maybe that's a reason why, you know, you have all these matchups, like you mentioned, you know, Gonzaga, UCLA, Gonzaga, Duke, uh, Villanova, UCLA, like these are Villanova, Gonzaga, Texas. These are all big matchups between top five, top 10 teams. And you're playing them when, you know, a majority of the East and even central time zone is already in bed going to, or, you know, winding down their night. So it's, it's tough to, to do that. You know, you're not going to grow the game that way. I, I will say, I think that college basketball in November and even into December, it's kind of, you know, a little bit of a niche uh, sport. You know, you're not going to get the mega TV ratings that you will in, in March or, you know, for, for the NCAA tournament, because, you know, right now people are, are in football mode. They're watching the NFL. They're watching college football more than college basketball. So, like, I don't think that these games would do monster ratings if they were, you know, played at seven or eight o'clock, but at the same time, you're not really doing yourself any favors with the ratings when you start them. Like I mentioned, when, you know, a majority of the country is, you know, going to be falling asleep. So uh, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a lose, lose situation for them. Yeah. I think for me, the problem I think is just that they're sort of the mercy of the broadcasters here, which I don't think they're doing a good enough job staying up for themselves mm-hmm. because like mm-hmm. ESPN, I think had almost at every one of those games, I think, except for, I think the Gonzaga game with the, the UCL Villanova was on FS1. I think the issue you had there was just that a lot of these think networks are prioritizing college football because that's bigger ratings. So they're going to say, you want us to air the game. It's going to be at 1030. And they're, and they're going, mm-hmm. okay, we can do that. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't know what the mm-hmm. answer is, whether it's, you know, try and get CBS to start earlier. CBS only has the one college football game a week in the SEC, or if you can get yeah. me get a better time there. But like, if you're taking back seats to the NBA or, or regular season games or the college football, that's it's tough for them to overcome. Yeah. And while we're on that topic, I also want to point out a, a tweet that I saw. I think it was on Saturday for the uh, the Gonzaga Alabama game. They were talking about uh, I think it was it was ESPN's um, NBA guy like my, I think it's Mike Schmidt or something yep. like Schmitz or something like that. Yeah. They were saying how they have him on every broadcast. And I noticed this as well. Every single big college basketball game they bring him in for a couple of minutes to talk about the NBA draft profiles of, you know, the big players or the big one and done players in those games. Personally, as a college fan, I don't care about that. And I don't want to see, you know, the NBA draft creeping into college basketball. I want to watch college basketball. I'm personally not a big NBA fan. I don't really follow the league that much. So it doesn't really matter to me. I don't like that kind of bringing in the NBA draft, but, you know, presenting these college games basically as just a showcase for the NBA or the NBA draft, which is, you know, six months from now or seven months from now, whenever it is. Uh, I don't like that. I, you know, let the college kids be college kids. Don't be talking about, you know, where they're going to go in the draft and who's, you know, number one on the big board, like let that happen in, in, in May and June, you know, not in, in December and November when I'm trying to just watch a great college basketball game. That's that's one gripe that I have as well with the networks. Yeah, there's no offense to Schmitz, who is a great guy, great NBA yeah. analyst who does a great draft analyst who does a good job of what he does. This is more I think an ESPN program decision where they say, you know what, like we can't sell this to the Irish fan unless we have NBA stakes to it. And we're M- big NBA rights holders. We're going to try and sell it through the NBA. I think it's the wrong way to try and sell it because having Schmitz on there doesn't really do anything to promote the product because when let's say Alabama is playing a big game in the SEC this this year and it's on ESPN too, you can bring Schmitz in to talk about them every game. I don't think it's gonna work. 
Yeah, exactly. It just, it doesn't make any sense to me. You know, I don't know who you're appealing to. Like you mentioned, you know, the college fans, they don't really, you know, care about the NBA. I mean, they do, but that's not their focus is the NBA uh, profiles of these guys. And NBA fans probably aren't really watching college basketball right now because they're probably watching the NBA. So it's, yeah, like you said, it just, it feels like a weird kind of like cross promotion, I guess I'll say. And I, I, I don't think it's necessary and I hope that they, they stop it very soon. Yeah, and this is not, it's not like t- a couple of years ago when Duke had Zion, where everybody's like, oh, he's the next NBA superstar, and you can get the NBA uh-huh. fans that way. There's nobody in this class who is on the Zion level. No, exactly. And, and then, it, then it feels even more artificial because it feels like you're kind of trying to, you know, manufacture these guys into being, like, like you said, that Zion level. I mean, you know, Paolo Bancaro and, and, and Chet Holmgren, maybe they will end up being NBA superstars, but right now they don't look like they're on the level of prospect, like, like you mentioned that Zion was, you know, so it just kind of feels very manufactured as well, you know, trying to hype up these guys that they're going to be the next NBA stars when we don't know that. And it just, it feels very fake to me. It does. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this to ESPN. I'm going to challenge them here. Put Schmitz on a February basketball game team, Purdue and Michigan, and tell me what NBA guys coming out of that game. I want, I, and then I'll believe you actually care about it more. That whole <laughs> yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah. Let's, let's see that. And then, and then we'll, uh, and then we'll get talking. Yeah. Let's also take a look here at one thing, I stat that's popped up recently, came out MTE season with the multi-events. They have great week and feast week on Thanksgiving. And the stat I share with you, I think is interesting here. This initially came from Heat Check CDB on Twitter. It said, college basketball, MTEs begin tomorrow with the Charleston Classic and Myrtle Beach Invitational. This tweet is from November 17th. Key MTE stats on the last 12 national champions is dating back to North Carolina 09. They are 28-1 overall in MTEs. All 11 MTE participants reached their title game. 10 of the 11 won their MTE title. So this includes last year, Baylor won the Jimmy V Classic over Illinois. Virginia, a couple years ago, won Battle for Atlantis. Same for Nova in 18. Mal Invitation in there, NIT season tip-off, Codes versus Cancer. I think it's interesting. The one exception I have here is Louisville, which was the runner-up in Battle for Atlantis 13. But then again, we can say it technically doesn't count because the NCAA revoked the banner for whatever it's mm. worth. But I think it's a fascinating stat here that the last 12 national targets that feature at least one team that has either won or been to the final in MTE. Yeah, and it kind of like goes against everything that you would think when you say like, you know, it, it takes some time for these teams to gel. You know, how you're, how you're playing in in November really is not how you're going to be playing in March. But then you look at that stat and you're like, well, maybe if you're playing good in November, you're going to be playing good in March. Uh, you know, it's, it's, so it is kind of like going against what you would normally think. Um, you know, I, I guess that it speaks to, you know, a lot of these teams are playing in these high level tournaments. They're getting this experience uh, in November. That's going to equate over to March. And uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting stat. I, you know, I, I don't think you can call it a coincidence when it's got the kind of longevity that you just mentioned. So uh, there were definitely some interesting ones this year, and, and uh, I think we might have a trend here. Yeah, a couple of teams that we, ne- we mentioned off the top here that won the titles. Obviously, I think Purdue winning the Hall of Fame tip-off, mm-hmm. that's one you definitely keep keep your eye on here. Baylor dominating the battle yep. for Atlantis is one you keep your eye on here. I guess technically, Gonzaga, you want to count their thing in the uh, whatever, like, Fugazi thing they did with UCLA out in Vegas. That's one you can yeah. sort of list in there. But, like, there's some interesting ones that could keep this trend going. Yeah. What about Wisconsin winning, uh, winning the Maui tournament in, in Las Vegas? Uh, you know, I think that they're ranked right, right now. I don't, I don't think Wisconsin's going to be a national champion, but you know, in the big 10, anything can happen. They, they look really good right now. Wisconsin, they just took down uh, Marquette the other day. So, you know, I, like I'm not saying that they could win the national title, but 
you know, that, that was an impressive uh, week weekend or week that they had in Maui or in Vegas, I guess. Yeah, the other one I'll throw out here is interesting to you to keep an eye on because you were high on them at the start of the season here. The the Florida winning the Fort Myers tip-off on the buzzer beer yeah. or Ohio State. That one was interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they just suffered their first loss a couple of days ago uh, to uh, Oklahoma. But, yeah, yeah I, I like Florida this season as well in the SEC. I think that they can really – you know, challenge for uh, the number one spot in the SEC. I like their depth. I think they got a lot of guys that can uh, be solid. Yeah, that was a that was an incredible tournament in Fort Myers. You had what the the Ohio State buzzer beater over over Seton Hall, and then you had the the Florida buzzer beater. I think two days later to to beat Ohio State, and then even the uh, the consolation game, uh, Seton Hall and uh, and Cal was a really good game. I think Cal missed one at the buzzer that could have tied it or won it. So yeah, really really good games in that. Uh, kind of like an underrated tournament that Fort Myers was. Yeah, and also throw out another one. Arizona won the Rowan Maid event. They up, they beat Michigan out there, and their team yeah. has been some early season surprise. And maybe throw them in that pile too. Yeah, yeah, and they're a team that I feel like is going to go under the radar all season long, no matter what they do, just because you know they play in the Pac-12. Obviously, their games are not going to be on. Like like we mentioned, they're not going to be on those primetime uh, TV slots. That's more just because of you know the time zone that they play in. Yeah, they could kind of fly under the radar. You know, it wouldn't shock me to see Arizona, you know, being kind of like a trendy pick for the final four in a couple months. All right, let's get to some round the horn stuff here. Let's go with the best conferences so far. We think of the best leagues to watch as we get close to conference play at the beginning of January. Yeah, the, the best league for me, I mean, I could be biased and say the Big East. And I think that there's a case to be made for the Big East, but it's got to be the Big 12. I mean, the Big 12 right now just looks like it has, you know, seven or eight teams that are going to be really, really good. You know, Baylor is, is unbeaten right now. Kansas just wiped the floor with St. John's. They're a top 10 team. Texas is a top 10 team, uh, has a big game coming up with Seton Hall. Uh, Texas Tech, I mentioned, you know, they haven't really picked up any big wins just yet. Uh, they do have a big game coming up. But, you know, I, I, I thought Texas Tech could be a team that could surprise some people. West Virginia's only got one loss. Oklahoma as well, uh, like we mentioned, just beat Florida. And then how about Iowa State, unbeaten, uh, ranked in the top 25, uh, had a really impressive weekend. Uh, in the in their uh, MTE, so the Big Twelve, you know, we've already always kind of said that they have that depth, and you know, this year I think you could make the case that you know of the eleven teams, like you know, eight or nine of them could be you know not only NCAA tournament potential, but like deep runs in the NCAA tournament. So, in my opinion, I think the Big Twelve is going to be really really fun this season. Uh, I think that you have like three or four legitimate, or probably three legitimate national title contenders in the big 12. And then you have a lot of teams that are going to be really, really solid. Every, every single game in that conference is going to be fun to watch. I think. Yeah. I think obviously I've got to throw the big, be a big 10 shell for a little bit. Cause obviously they have the, I think the favorite to win the title right now at Purdue. And they have a very deep class of teams that could at least at the second week of the tournament, whether it's Michigan, if they get themselves mm-hmm. right, Ohio state, Michigan state, Wisconsin, the teams that are sneaking into the mix. Here, I think that's fun. But I think the team from the league for me is the sec. Cause they mm-hmm. kind of snuck up on me, but they have four teams in the top 15 of the poll here. Because Alabama is at nine now after they upset Gonzaga and Seattle last week. Kentucky's at 10. Arkansas is undefeated at 12. Tennessee's at 13. Go further down the poll, we got three more teams. Auburn, seven and one. They're 18. Florida is six and one. They're, they're number 20. And LSU is in the poll now for the first time. They're eight and oh. They're undefeated. So I think the SEC is going to have a very, very good year this year. Yeah, and even a team like Ole Miss, who I don't think is ranked in the SEC, you know, they just took down Memphis the other day. I mean, like, you know, it seems like they're going to be another league that's very, very deep, like you mentioned, that has, you know, seven, eight teams that are really, really solid teams that, you know, any given night, you're going to get a really fun matchup in the in that conference. So, yeah, I agree with you. The SEC has been very impressive so far as well. 
All right, let's go the other way. The worst conferences so far. Are we supposed to get a dunk on the ACC here? Because that league looks very bad. Yeah, I don't know how you would say anything but the ACC at this point. It's been a mess for them. Uh, Duke's been good. You know, obviously was number one uh, until a couple hours ago. Uh, they look good. But, I mean, where else do you go, really? You know, every single team seems like it's had some head-scratching losses so far. Uh, I, I was pretty high on Florida State going into the season. They haven't really looked very good. Like I said, I, I still think UNC can be a solid team, but, you know, right now they don't look fantastic. Uh, Virginia, you know, was ranked to start the year and just has not been good. So, you know, there's not a whole lot to like. What do they have? One ranked team right now? I think that it'll come around yeah. for sure. I think that, you know, some of these maybe struggling teams will figure it out. But yeah, right now there's not a whole lot to like in the ACC. Yeah, you mentioned the one-ranked team, which is Duke, which is obviously great because Duke's a national title contender, but they only have one other team getting votes in the poll. North Carolina got 55 <laughs> votes, and, like, uh-huh. nobody else in the ACC has got a vote in the top 25, which is just tells you how bad the league is. Yeah, exactly, and I, 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 I'm sure that'll change. You know, the league will get better as the season goes on, but, yeah, right now, I mean, there's just there's not a whole lot of juice in the ACC. There's not a whole lot of teams that are that are playing well, that are, you know, impressing you in, in these games, you know, in the – in the big ACC big 10 challenge, a couple of those games are fun for sure. But you know, they, like, I don't know, like Syracuse has already has three losses as well. You know, like Florida state, like I mentioned, I, I'm just looking at the, at their, at their standings right now. I, I, there's not a whole lot of teams that are really, really impressing you right now. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at these, I mean, Florida state, we mentioned is a massive disappointment because Florida state was a team that I thought was going to be a sleeper team. They have yeah. lost for every big game they played, which they put them in a big hole. You buy Syracuse? I don't because I don't know if they have much beyond Buddy Beheim. Yeah, Syracuse. Uh, <laughs> Syracuse is a team to me that you know you you, you just get the feeling they're going to go you know nineteen and eleven. They'll squeak in. They'll be like you know an eleven seed. They'll win their first round game. They'll play some three seed in the in the in the second round that looks like they've never played against the zone before and they'll win like a 68-63 game, and then they'll be in the Sweet 16 again. Because that just seems like what Syracuse does every single season. So, you know, with Syracuse, like, right now, they don't look good, for sure. Uh, they got a, a game against Villanova coming up. That's going to be fun to watch, for sure. Kind of like an old Big East throwback game. But, yeah, uh, for Syracuse, you know, I always feel like they're playing their best basketball in March. Yeah, I mean, look at some of the other teams in that league. Louisville has a home loss to Furman on his resume. And I, don't get me wrong, yeah. Furman's a good team out of the SOCOM, but Louisville should not be losing that game. And mm-hmm. I'm going to dunk on Virginia again because I love to do that, and I hate the Cavalier program <laughs> so much because the way they play ba- basketball, I think, set back the sport like 50 years. But <laughs> I think how you lose to Navy at home to start the season, I don't know how that is possible because Navy is not a good basketball program. I mean, they're having a good year, but... They went out, they played two more AC teams. They got smoked. They lost by 20 to Virginia Tech and 17 to Louisville. So mm-hmm. I don't know what that tells you about Virginia. Yeah, it, it seems like that system is kind of like, you know, catching up to them a little bit. When you look at, you know, look at their scores, you know, uh, 67-47, they lose. They win, they score 68. They they win, they score 58 here. They 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 won against Pitt the other night in a horrible game. They, they score 57 points. I mean, that system's catching up, you know, the way that college basketball is going, it's higher scoring. It's, you know, more guys can shoot, more guys can make plays, more guys can create. Virginia just doesn't have that creativity, you know, and when you don't have that, eventually it's going to catch up with you. Obviously it got them a national title a couple of years ago, but you know, when you don't have that top level talent and when you don't have guys that can create, it's, it's, it's a, it's a really painful watch first of all. And it eventually it leads to some losing. All right. Let's set the number here. 
Over or under four and a half AC teams in the tournament? Ooh. Uh I'll I'll go over. I think that I think that we'll get because I mean well Duke is a lock for sure. UNC is a lock for sure. I still I think Louisville can make it as well. That's three. Syracuse will probably be in because I, I just think that they'll they'll find a way in. Yeah, and then and then you know I I think Virginia Tech one of like Virginia Tech Florida State Miami will probably get in one of the, like one of those teams will get in so I, I would say over I think I think they they'll get five in and and Virginia I think is I mean, in that pile too because the league yeah, is so bad yeah uh huh yeah so that they, they'll get five in I think yeah and Miami think of Miami not do themselves like they didn't look great when they went down to the ESPN events Invitational they lost by sixteen to Dayton. They got mm-hmm. they beat North Texas by six and they got run out of the gym by Alabama. So that tells yeah. you how much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the no one in the ACC has looked really, you know, even worth our time right now besides Duke. Yeah, let's go some big oh, big picture thing. The biggest surprise team to you so far? Biggest surprise team? It's got to be Iowa State. How about how about the way that they've played so far? Uh, picked to be one of the, the you know lowest teams in the Big 12. Like I mentioned, speaking to the depth of the conference, now they're 17th. Uh, they beat Memphis. They beat Xavier. Uh, they they won against Creighton the other night. You know what a team they got! Isaiah Brockington, who's who's really really good. Uh, Tyrese Hunter looks like one of the best freshmen in the country. Uh, you know they get a new coach and they've been really really good so far. Iowa State. Uh, they got a big game coming up against Iowa. You know I I, I think that you know this is a team that we thought was going to be. Like I said, probably like a, a single-digit win team, I think. It wouldn't have been crazy to say they go out and they, they're 8-0 now and they're looking like a team that's you know going to be a Sweet 16 team. So as of right now, I, I think it's got to be Iowa. Yeah, I think I have two I'll throw out there. Number one is USC out of the Pac-12. And we all thought they were kind of taking a step back after Evan Mobley went pro, and they're still they're undefeated. I look at the net range came out today on the day of recording. They're in the top 10 in net, I believe. Yeah, they are number seven here. They're mm-hmm. 8-0 record. They're... They're, they have a good have a quad one win, they have quad two wins. So you like USC and LSU lost all the NBA talent. Feels like Will Wade every single year is on the should he get fired list on the SEC. And like <laughs> there they are again. They're in the poll for the first time. They're number two in the net, which is shocking to me. And like they've just like dominated their competition so far. And they got some good games coming up this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about another team that's uh got a new coach and, and looks really well is uh is Minnesota. I think that they're <laughs> What are they eight and zero on the season? They've been they've been impressive as well. Another team, or they're seven and zero. Another team that we thought was going to be, you know, the bottom of that conference, and they still might. You know, in the big in the Big Ten, you know, you can have an off week and go zero and three, and all of a sudden, you know, plummet down their standings. But uh, Minnesota is a team that we all thought was going to be, you know, kind of like the doormat of that conference, or, or one of the doormats of that conference, and here they are, and they're unbeaten so far. So uh, props to Minnesota as well. Yeah, as of rec- I mean, this week's going to be a big week for them. They host Michigan State. They go to Michigan. We'll find out very quickly how good they are. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and that's what I was saying about you know yeah. that conference. You know, you can you can you can play well even. You can have a good week and you can go zero and two just because there's so many you know good teams in in the Big Ten that are that are tough and tough environments to play in. So you know we'll 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 learn a lot more about uh, about Minnesota by this time next week. All right, let's go to the other. Let's go to the disappointments. Who's the biggest uh, letdown for you so far? Yeah, to me, this one, you know, is, is an obvious one. It's, it's got to be Memphis, right? Well, there, there are some other ones, but Memphis is, is the main one to me. Uh, you know, a team that had all this talent coming in, everyone was so high on them, you know, ranked in the top 25, 
everyone kind of forgot that Penny Hardaway isn't really a good coach though. And that, you know, when you have all that talent, you still kind of need someone that can coach them. Uh, they've already lost a couple of games. They've looked, they just don't look like a cohesive team right now. And, and I, I guess that was kind of to be expected when you build these like quote unquote super teams in, in, uh, in college basketball with all these top five recruits. Uh, but you know, when you have all that top five talent, you need someone to actually coach them. And I don't think Penny Hardaway is a good coach, frankly. Uh, he's, he's throwing guys under the bus. What is he saying about the veterans don't like the, the new guys or whatever he was saying. Uh, I, I don't like that as well. That's a weird thing to do at this point in the season. So yeah, just, just a, a very disappointing start for Memphis. They got time to turn it around for sure. And I think that they will because, you know, talent eventually will figure it out. But, yeah, they, they've been disappointing to me. I think for me, the biggest disappointment is Michigan because they've the team we yeah. put neck and neck with Purdue preseason, the Big Ten. And they've lost to every good team they played. Seton Hall went in there, beat them at beat them in the Chrysler Center by a bucket. We saw Arizona blow them out in Vegas. UNC blows them out on the road. And it's not a great UNC team either. And, like, I know Juwan Howard has a – good good team there so like michigan should be doing better than they are yeah exactly and michigan i i guess you know maybe the issue too is there is a little bit of of you know trying to get continuity trying to get everyone playing to, uh, with each other because I, I i mean we know Jawan howard's a good coach so there's, there's not really questions about the coaching there um but yeah you're right they've played what three really or three decent teams in seton hall arizona and unc and they've lost to all of them uh so and then two of them weren't really even close in arizona and unc so yeah, they've got some work to do for sure. Uh, you know, they'll figure it out. But as of right now, I think we can kind of hold the, the final four uh, talk with Michigan. Yeah, and for a team that's going to need to do work in the Big Ten, their best non-conference wins are Buffalo at home and San Diego State at home. They're going to have a lot of work to do. Yeah, exactly. That resume, you know, I, but, but the good thing about the Big Ten is basically every game is a resume game, right? Yes. You know, you're, you're playing in the Big Ten. You know, you're going to have opportunities if you play 20 conference teams. You know, 16 of them are going to be ones that you can put on your resume. So. They do have have a lot of chances to uh, to figure it out. Yeah, let's go. Let's start going around the locals for a little bit here. Let's start out with uh, Seton Hall. As you mentioned them before, they're seven and one. Week of recording, they're going to be hosting Texas in the Big East Big Twelve battle, and that's going to be a fun game for Seton Hall here. Yeah, you know when we spoke uh, before the start of the season, we talked about the Big East. You know, we kind of said. Uh, it's, it's obvious Villanova will be number one or the, the top ranked team in the conference. And then, you know, uh, spots like two to six are really up for grabs. Well, I should have said, we know that Seton Hall will be, you know, one of those top two or three teams in the conference, because it just seems like Kevin Willard, you know, the names change, the faces change, as long as he's there, uh, they're going to continue being, you know, a, a team that's a top, obviously right now the top 25, but they're always going to be in that top 30, top 40 range. And they're going to be around the top of the big East. Uh, they've been really impressive so far. Uh, you know, their only loss so far is, is on that basically buzzer beater against Ohio state. Uh, they've been really, really impressive. The win against Michigan maybe looks a little bit less impressive now since what we've seen Michigan, but like you mentioned, they got a big week coming up with Texas and Rutgers. Uh, and, and then they play Iona after that as well. So yeah, should be a, a fun, uh, fun couple of games for Seton hall for sure. But you know, this is a team that I just I think that no matter what happens, Seton Hall is going to be in the top four or five of the Big East at, at worst. And they're going to be an NCAA tournament team. Uh, I, I just, you know, it pains me to say as a St. John's fan, but but Kevin Willard always seems to figure it out. Yeah, they're going to be. And I love what they've done. Now that Mamu Kalis Vili is no longer on the team, they have a very good mix there. R.J. Cole, Kadari Richmond coming in and they have a lot of good talent on that team. I like what they're doing. 
Yeah, they got so much depth. They got so many guys that can beat you. They had a lot of guys come back. Like you mentioned, Mamu, Mamu left, but really a lot of other guys came back. Uh, Jared Roden's been really, really good. And Kadari Richmond, I think Jim Beheim's going to be kicking himself, although he, he'll never admit it, uh, letting Kadari Richmond walk and, and going to Seton Hall. And he's, I think he's going to end up being really a really uh, impact player for the Pirates for sure. Yeah, and unfortunately, I didn't have on the rundown, I'll get to him real quick. Rutgers is back to being Rutgers. I think they're back to being a bottom-of-the-barrel bottom of Big Ten team. They, this team has, look at their non-league schedule. They lost at DePaul. They lost to Lafayette at home. They lost to UMass. They got blown out by Illinois. Things not looking good for Rutgers. Yeah, what they lose by 30 to Illinois? It's, it's, been, it's been tough for them so far. Uh, that's life of the Big Ten, though, you know, and they're, yeah, they're looking like one of the teams that's going to be the doormat in the Big Ten, which is disappointing because I think that uh, I thought Rutgers would be at least a tournament team this year. I don't know if they were going to go far in the tournament, but I thought that they could have a chance to at least, you know, be right around that NCAA tournament bubble. As of right now, it's not looking too good for them. They're looking like a team that's going to get kind of beat up by a lot of these big 10 teams. When you look at how they, how they fared against Illinois on Friday night. So, you know, as we always mention with teams in the Big Ten, there's uh, there's going to be opportunities to to right the ship for sure. You're going to have resume building opportunities for sure. But right now on that Rutgers resume, it's it's more bad than good for sure. And speaking of resume opportunities, number one Purdue is coming in on fr- on Thursday night. So here you go. <laughs> exactly, and that's that you know speaks to the to the Big Ten right. Every game is you know it it, it never lets off that schedule. It's always going to be a tough game, tough game, tough game. Now on the other hand, there's always going to be opportunities to to right the ship and and you know get a resume building win. But you know if you're not playing your best basketball in the Big Ten, which Rutgers is not right now, uh, it can kind of spiral out of control really really quickly. Where you can see five, six, seven losses in a row. Yeah, let's go to UConn right now. So UConn, right in the current AP poll, is ranked 15. They've done a good job in non-league play. They have their only loss was to Michigan State in a very tight game in the uh, battle for Atlantis. They had that great mm-hmm. double overtime win against Auburn on the day before Thanksgiving. And I think I like with them is they just have so much depth. I mean, losing Adamus and Ogo for a bit with injury hurts, but I think this team can withstand it. Yeah, yeah. Sonogo being out for a while is, is uh, definitely going to affect them, but. You know, my question with them at the start of the year, and I wasn't maybe as high as some people were, and it was, you know, who's going to step up with uh, with James Booknight being out or James Booknight, you know, going on to the NBA? Who is going to be the guy that kind of fills that role? Because they didn't really have anyone to do that last year. Like you mentioned, Sonogo has been uh, absolutely phenomenal. He's averaging 15 points a game after averaging just seven Last year, they got four guys averaging in double figures. Uh, RJ Cole has upped his scoring average after a little bit of a dip last year. So, yeah, they got, you know, between Cole, Sonogo, uh, Tyler Polly, Tyrese Martin, they got a lot of guys that can beat you. Uh, so, yeah, they it's it's sort of been a team effort for sure. But Sonogo's really stepped up, uh, going to be out for a little bit. But, yeah, they, uh, they've, they've definitely replaced James Booknight and look like they're soaring without him. Yeah, they absolutely have. And, I, you know, I – we're not going to do the video version today because we had some technical issues on, on a couple ends, but I am wearing red to, for your team, the St. John's Red Storm, and <laughs> it's been a struggle in the non-conference play. And apart from Kansas like beating them up here, they struggle against some of their non-conference points, whereas NJIT, you know you know the rest. And, and that came out to their 108, and you mentioned an interesting point on Twitter that I think there are only seven teams in power conference leagues that didn't either play an MTE or play four non-conference four power conference opponents in the non-conference schedule. Mm-hmm. St. John's is one of them. And we're seeing right now that scheduling is not great for them. Yeah, exactly. And and when the net comes out today, I mean, you know, you don't want to go crazy about the net in December, but you see what happens when you 
A, don't really play a very good schedule when you play a schedule with a lot of low major opponents on there. And then B, when you don't really look impressive against those low major opponents, you know, St. John's has or played really three games in a row. They played a great game against Indiana. They lose on one of the final possessions. It is what it is. You know, it's a tough game. Uh, but then they go out and they, they play kind of a stinker against uh, Fairleigh Dickinson. They almost lose against St. Francis. And then they go to overtime with NJIT, three straight games in a row where they just look completely out of sync and, and you know, look like maybe the effort wasn't fully there. So, you know, and, and when you play a, a rough non-conference schedule like St. John's is where there's not a whole lot of opportunities for resume building wins, it puts a lot more extra emphasis on a game against Indiana where, you know, if you lose that game against Indiana and you have four or five other big you know, non-conference game schedule, then you say, all right, you know, pick, pick yourself up and go back at it. You know, whereas the, the reaction, I think from the fan base was a lot different because that was one of their only big uh, chances at a resume building win. And then it put a lot of pressure on their game last week against Kansas, where, you know, you don't want to be going into a game against Kansas saying, Hey, this is a win that we really need to build our, our non-conference because Kansas is really good. And Kansas uh, pulled away from them. That was a three point game with about 10 minutes to go. And then Kansas kind of, kind of blew the doors off of them in the final 10 minutes. So, yeah, it's, it's been a struggle for St. John. They did get back on track the other night uh, against Fordham, so that's impressive. But hopefully they can just, you know, finish out the non-conference schedule strong, uh, continue to play strong. And then there's going to be opportunities in the Big East to pick up some big wins. So for now, uh, we'll see about St. John's, but but not, not, not looking great right now. Yeah, and to recap the schedule here, I mean, I mean – Looking at their upcoming games here this week, they have Monmouth coming up out of the MAC, which is probably it's just been a dangerous team. They went on the road and won Cincinnati, so that's not one they can take lightly. Colgate made a tournament last year. They're playing them on Sunday, and you got Pitt, which is not really a it's a power conference foe, but Pitt out of the ACC has never been good. So like, there's not much here St. John's really do apart from add bad losses ahead of the uh, Big East. Exactly, that's that's the biggest issue now. Is like none of these games are going to go on a resume as key wins. Um, but they can go on as bad losses. And these are all teams that, like you mentioned, are, are threatening. Monmouth has already won a game against Cincinnati. Uh, Colgate's beaten Syracuse. They were, like you mentioned, were an NCAA tournament team last year. And then Pitt, while they are you know, one of the, I would say, worst Power 5 teams in the country right now, uh, they almost beat Virginia last week. So you know, Pitt's been playing, uh, I would say, a little bit better and is, is at least a bit of a threat. So you know, there are some opportunities here for for tough losses for St. John's. It's not going to be easy, but at the same time, you're not really going to build your resume very much in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, for sure. We'll put a pin in there. We'll definitely check back on them next time we talk and we'll go lap with the local scene here with Iona, which put itself on the map here with a big win over Alabama down at the ESPN events invitational first win in program history over a top 10 school. First win in, I think more in Mac history because nobody in that conference really does anything against these top level teams. And <laughs> they're now they're eight and two. They're, 2-0 in their league, and they have a critical stretch here of non-conference games coming up where they have Yale coming up this weekend at the Barclays Center. They have a big game against Seton Hall next weekend at MSG, and then Delaware comes to UBS Arena where hopefully the people going to the parking issues the St. John's fans did. But <laughs> I think with them, it's like considering the league they play in, if they want to stay in the at-large bubble, and the Alabama thing definitely put them in the conversation because they're 60 on the net and the first net ratings here. But the fact is they can play so many quad three, quad four games that their record is going to really depend on what they do these next three. They really can't afford to lose more than one of them. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, you already have that win over over Alabama, uh, which is amazing for them. You know, when you look at that at-large 
opportunity. You know, if you can take down Seton Hall at the Garden in a couple of weeks in that doubleheader with uh, with St. John's and Pitt, I might add, uh, if you can take down Seton Hall, you know, you have two really impressive non-conference wins that can go on a resume that can give you a little bit extra security, you know, cause you would assume Ione is going to be, you know, if not the top team in the Mac, then, you know, the number two team in the Mac. But I think it's safe to, to say that they will finish the Mac regular season as the number one seed going into the Mac tournament. If you only lose a couple of games in the, in the Mac, let's say, you know, three or four losses, you know, if you go into non-conference or if you go into the NCAA tournament and you only have, you know, four or five losses, uh, and you have two wins against Alabama and and uh, and Seton Hall. All of a sudden, you know your at large resume looks pretty impressive, and you have I think a legitimate you know case to to be in the NCAA tournament as an at large team, which Iona's never had. But I think another thing too that I, I want to mention is you know beating Alabama, beating a top ten team, that in my opinion gives them you know some hope that they can they can do this. You know if they if they are if they do win the MAC and you know they end up as a 14 seed or let's say, or something like that, you know, they do have, have hope that they can take down one of these, you know, giant teams and then they can pull a big upset in the NCAA tournament. It doesn't seem so far fetched anymore that we've seen them do it. Now at that point, it would have been, you know, three and a half months ago that the, the Alabama win, but I think it just, it gives you kind of a glimmer of hope if you're an Iona fan that, you know, this is possible that they can uh, beat one of these bigger teams in the NCAA tournament in a couple of months. Yeah, the thing that helps also is Rick McKinnon took a very good non-conference schedule there where they've been playing good teams out of the league. I mean, Hofstra is probably one of the favorites in the CAA. Harvard and Yale are both favorites in the Ivy. Mm-hmm. And they have a win over Liberty down on neutral floor. I think could age nicely. Liberty goes back and down with their league like they usually do. And, like, if those wins keep getting better and the fact they have Belmont and Kansas on there boosting the non-conference strength of schedule numbers even further, I think that will help them even more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They they put together a really solid schedule and they've hit the jackpot in that they've played really well in that in that solid schedule. You know, they in my opinion, they've they've scheduled better than St. John's is scheduled with their non conference and it's paying dividends for them because I think that it it does strengthen an at large uh, conversation for them if they do need it in a couple of months. So credit to Patino and credit to the Gales. They're playing really, really solid basketball. Yeah, play the thought experiment out here. Let's say they go two and one over the next three games and they are they are 10 and three heading into the rest of the Mac play with 18 games. If you give them three losses there, that team is winning 25 games in the regular season. And you're looking at potentially like if you manage to somehow lose in the college title game, like a 27 win team with a win over Alabama and possibly one over like Seton Hall. Like that's one you would find a hard time leaving out if they don't, if they don't win the league. Exactly. I, I think that there's a, a conversation there for sure. And obviously it depends on the strength of the bubble, you know, who's who they're on the bubble with, but you know, would you rather put in, like you mentioned, a 27-win Iona team uh, that has, you know, wins over Alabama and, you know, maybe a win over Seton Hall, but but for sure a win over Alabama? Or would you rather put in, you know, a 12-loss Big Ten team or a 12-loss ACC team? That's kind of the, the conversation that is probably going to be had. Now, the committee probably will lean towards the power conference team, but I think that it's a legitimate conversation. I think Iona – should win that conversation. Maybe I'm a little bit biased, but I think that they, they should win that conversation and at least have, have a real uh, shot in that large bid because of how they've scheduled so far in the non-conference. Yeah. Let's, let's go ahead. We're going to checking in, I think every month or so, just until we get closer to February and they might be a little more frequent, but let's get ready for the rest of the non-conference schedule. Like what kind of games are you looking forward to the coming weeks? Yeah. Uh, well, I'll start right now in this week. I mean, what a, what a game it is uh, on Tuesday night. Uh, I know that, I know that, you know, we're recording this on a Monday, but, uh, big, big time old Big East feel with uh, with uh, Syracuse against Villanova. 
Like I, I wish they were playing that on a Monday night. So it would be like kind of like a big Monday type feel uh, the old biggies playing in uh, on ESPN. But that's a game that, you know, I, I think is, is too passionate fan base. It's two old rivals. I think that'll be a really, really fun game to watch uh, between those two schools. And then um, oh, my, my page just froze here, but yeah. Uh, you know, looking, looking uh, towards, towards the weekend, I, I'm interested too in, in uh, UCLA against Marquette. That's a game that, you know, Marquette's with Shaka Smart has, has I thought, been more impressive than we thought they would be so far. And it's a UCLA team that's, uh, that's kind of, you know, playing, playing good basketball right now. They've only got the one loss against Gonzaga. So just in the immediate future, those are two games that, uh, that kind of stand out to me. Yeah, I'll, I'll throw out here the big Villanova Baylor showdown on Sunday out at yep. Waco, a top two top ten teams. Villanova's played a great non conference schedule, so they see if they can make a statement here. I think the CBS Sports Classic on the 18th, which Saturday Ooh. before Christmas, by the way, if you're a college basketball fan, get your shopping done, sit down and watch the basketball all day because there's a ton of great games that day, and you have a great double header there. I mean, I'll throw that 18th day out here. Here's what we have so far: Tennessee, Memphis. Gonzaga, Texas Tech, the Iona Seton Hall game we mentioned before, CBS Sports Classic, UCLA, North Carolina, Ohio State, Kentucky is in there. And I mean, the list goes on. There's a lot of great action that day. Yeah, that like you mentioned, that's a day that you don't want to be doing Christmas shopping. You don't want to be standing in lines, uh, you know, waiting to, waiting to check out in a store, holding a million bags, uh, get it done, or do your Christmas shopping online or have it done beforehand and uh, yeah, sit down and watch some college basketball all day and night. And, uh, and, and don't be, don't be wasting your time doing, doing holiday shopping. Yeah, for sure. Troy, thanks all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I'll be a follow social media. Keep up with the seeing red podcast. Definitely. Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter uh, at Troy Moriello. That's M A U R I E L L O. Yeah. I do the seeing red podcast cover St. John's basketball. So you can check that out. We do a new episode every single week. We'll have one, uh, coming out later this week when the Red Storm take on Monmouth. So uh, definitely check that out. And Mike, it's always a pleasure coming on. It is always a pleasure, Troy. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. All right. Show me the money. All right. Show me the money. NFL picks for week number 14. On the line here on the Just and the Suffering podcast. Joining me today, a big New York Jets man. Not talked about the Jets in a bit. Martino Puccio is here. Martino, how are you? Not bad, not bad. Getting ready for the holidays. Um, well, basically just Christmas and New Year's now. Um, so, yeah, NFL season is winding on down. It's kind of cool to see. Then we know we have one more game uh, than usual, um, just for red zone purposes, not Jets purposes, obviously. So, Again, um, a lot of a lot of fun to finally um, see the season wrap up because to me that's just it's just closer to baseball. I'm so done with this football stuff again. Uh, you know, it's the same thing every year. Yeah, and I mean for us, yes, it's nice to have the extra good gambling because the Jets stink. And if you're playing fantasy football week 18, you're a crazy person. But that's just me. But I, I think, agree. Yeah, I also think it's nice. I feel like eventually we're gonna get to 18 games. I think the goal here is we want this thing to have the Super Bowl on President's Day weekend, so we get so we get some Monday off after the Super Bowl parties. Yeah, because I mean, if they're not gonna make it a national holiday, then you might as well use up a national holiday right beforehand. It just makes sense for everybody involved, honestly. Yeah, and I gotta say, last week's Jet game, like they got to a nice start offensively. They scored their first three drives, but between the kicker missing, the defense being able to stop anybody, I mean, that was just frustrating. It's the same thing like all season. Um, 
outside like the defensive part like the it's like they kind of switched with who let you down more um but the special teams not a lot of people talk about it enough offensively it's it's the it's like the worst it's just genuinely terrible how they cannot find a consistent decent kicker i i I just i I don't get it I, i really don't and it's funny because they chose not to pay jason myers but again that's not the difference between them being good or not and i guess it's not that big of a deal if they don't have a kicker right now because a lot of these games aren't really going to be decided by a kicker. So there's that to kind of look at. But at the same time, it's kind of worrisome that they're having so many issues on that side of uh, the game. Yeah, even as far as the kicker, it's not even just Jason Myers. It's the fact that Nick Folk is still in the league five years later after the Jets cut him. He's still making kicks from New England. Yeah, of course. <laughs> for, the, for the number one uh, seed New England Patriots leading yeah. the division after only having one down here. Yeah. Um, the Jets only have one down decade, right? Yeah. So I like, but you're right though. I mean, it was, it's so frustrating because I said to myself, and I think I said it to you and Will prior to the season starting, I'm like, I just want a fun offense with like a, a bad team. Like, at least can you give me that? But this is like, it's more frustrating because the defense is not supposed to be like bottom five-ish. Like that's, that's inexcusable. Even with the, I mean, there's tons of injuries or it's a very young core in general, but you just get tired of it, you know, when you finally see glimpses on the side of the ball that has been haunting you for a decade. And then your defense kind of has that. And we knew we were kind of in for it rough when Lawson went down um, prior to the Green Bay game in the preseason. I mean, it is what it is. It was never about winning this year. It was really just about developing Zach. And um, they, there's been ups and downs, but, I, you know, you got to let the rest of the season play out uh, before you could, like, say anything concrete. Not even concrete, just to, you know, get an opinion from it. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of that defense here, I think the thing that bothered me the most after that game was we got the press conference. CJ Mosley basically said, hey, the Eagles are laughing at us, disrespecting us. And, yes, the Eagles defense, Eagles had their way with the Jets. They scored their first seven possessions, I believe, or something like ridiculous like that before the Jets forced mm-hmm. the punts. The thing is, I don't mm-hmm. want to hear about – you don't have respect from C.J. Mosley because, A, you were the one who jumped off sides in that fourth down play. It really set up another drive and a rare chance the Jets had to stop. And, two, the Jets are a bad football team. Why should they respect you? Uh, it's, I mean, it's not even just bad. They're historically awful. Like, this is, you know, if you ever talk to Demergis again to any time soon, like, this was, this is the worst era. Like, this is up there with the mid to late 70s. This is the mid nineties and all the like, dude, it's like literally the worst stretch in Jets history outside of one winning season. Right. Like it's just so abysmal and there's no reason that anyone should respect them. Like why should, you know, why should have anybody respected the next 12 games in last year? There was no reason to, I mean, one of the worst franchises in all of sports, let alone basketball, you get the respect now because they did something in the playoffs. They made the playoffs. They had a respectable series against the Hawks at one point in the playoffs. The Jets can't even win two games in a row in the regular season, and we're supposed to respect them or the rest of the league is? Why should you? And the mentality of an NFL team and players should not be to respect your opponent to that level. In the sport of football, you have to be nasty. You have to be dirty. You have to be mean. You can't be coming in here worrying about respect or not. That's the way games are won. That's the way the best Jets teams of the past 15 years have won. So why should any other team change up that mentality? 
CJ Mosley is probably getting the Jets-itis on him now, which is like coming from the Baltimore Ravens over to the Jets, regardless of money or not, it beats you down. It wears you down um, mentally, physically. Like it's just, it's, it's tough on him. And, you know, essentially almost missing two years worth of football too. Like the guy's not going to be as sharp. He's got to carry a bigger load for the rest of the defense because, I mean, let, let's call it what it is. They're, they're missing starters on multiple areas. I mean, the Williams brothers have been, you know, solid, even though you kind of hope that, Quinnen could have been better, but again, when you don't have players around him that are supposed to pressure the quarterback, it makes his job harder. And even considering how young he is. So, yeah, I mean, listen, they, they don't deserve the respect. They haven't earned their respect and they're not going to get it until they prove it. Like, honestly, like even next year, like who's to say that there's going to be a winning season, maybe close to 500, honestly, maybe, but like, as we've seen again, the division, (laughs) they're way behind everyone. It, it, it's pretty embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, I, I was a guest on the Locked On Jets podcast last week. Uh, John Butchko, friend of the friend of this podcast, we we're talking about like the Jet offseason, how important it is for them to go make moves on this defense specifically because they have like very few pieces there. You, you can't even count Carl Lawson coming back; he's coming off an Achilles, so you don't know what it's going to be like for him. And the fact is that they, they have just so little talent. The good news is they have the assets to make things happen with all those draft picks and the free agent cap room and all that stuff. But yeah. Joe Douglas, he's gotten better, but he needs to increase his uh, hit percentage here if you want you want to try and speed this up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think he's done a pretty good job of keeping things flexible in terms of salary cap. And, and this, again, the salary cap space is supposed to skyrocket soon too, um, which is kind of a plus, again, taking advantage of that uh, rookie contract era, which so many teams are following suit of, uh, of the Kansas City Chiefs. And, and others have followed that, you know, ideology as well um the Seahawks were another team that benefited from it but again that's only if you develop and have a great young quarterback that is kind of on the outside looking in and again like Fant has played well on left tackle but Makai like kind of what you're hearing and reading today like you don't know if he's going to even return this season so your left tackle is kind of a question mark or franchise one been hurt two seasons in a row regardless of Gacy Smith the majority if not all the season if you want to round up for this year um and again, like they have decisions to make. Is it a trade back with one of the picks? Is it double offensive lineman? Is it a, a, a sick weapon? Is it, is it, you know, like uh, an edge rusher on top of an offensive lineman? Like they can go in so many directions, but a lot of it depends upon what's going to happen towards the end here. Because honestly, wide receiver wise, and even if Corey Davis is out, this is one of the better wide receiver cores that they've had. And it is so important and great to see that Elijah Moore seems like a star, but Again, when you have Denzel Mims not doing anything, like yeah, like that's like what like what do you want to say? Like Mims, like you would have hoped he would have been a good number three option this year or four, considering Crowder stayed. It's like, come on, like how much faith can we have in this going from year to year? Like it's just it's embarrassing because even even in limited action, Mims is getting the yards yards per catch. Like he's getting a lot still, but it's in a small amount. There's obviously something behind the scenes that we don't know that we're not talking about um, or they're not talking about. There's again, there's just like that jet stink to it, you know, like they, they can't have multiple things go right at the same time. It's very, very rare. And it's also hard in the sport to begin with. So the fact that they're kind of at this point, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I still think they're like in pretty good shape and it was a strong signal from Zach improving, you know, from the second half of the Texans game, 
to what we saw at the start of this. And really, you're not going to put the loss on him. I don't think anyone does because there's so many like, you know, he was putting them in positions to score, Mike, and they weren't doing it. And like you said, like, we're not even asking the defense to be, you know, 15, 17 points a game allowed. We're asking for like two stops in a row, you know, like why, why is that so hard to ask? And, and that's a lot of pressure on the quarterback. So again, um, they're going to need some time. I'm more patient. I'm not one of those Salah out guys after one year. I think that's ridiculous. Idiocy. It's, it's lunacy. It, it just, it just doesn't make sense whether you like him or not, or found him disappointing this year. I haven't found anything that makes me say this is like Adam Gase and we can't have this guy here. There's nothing like that. I, I haven't. And, you know, and again, with this situation, with the way Joe finally got to hire his guy, the way Salah finally gets to try and develop his guy, even though like they had the passing game coordinator pass away prior to the season, have had mountains and mountains of injuries. You know, it's just, it's just silly. And, and you have to let the guys work because again, if you keep on blowing this up, not only are people not want to uh, want to come here, people are also just not going to find any stability. And, and that's still important regardless if you're the Jets or if you're the Patriots. Stability matters, and the Jets need to have that foundation. That's why Joe has that six-year deal that he got. Yeah, for sure. And this week, I got into the game here against the Saints, and we know the Saints are a struggling team. They've lost five games in a row. They have Taysom Hill at quarterback, and he can't pass worth a damn, but he, he's a good big running threat. They're getting Alvin Kamara back. It's one of those games where on paper you say, if the Jets play well, they can win this game. But to me, it's mm-hmm. like, this is sort of like the same sort of recipe we had going into the Eagle game, where it's like, oh, if you can stop the run, you can win this game. The Jets couldn't do that. See, my thing is like with the Eagles stuff is that they still had a good defense, in my opinion, like a, a good enough defense that it's, you know, facing one of the quarterbacks that leads the league in turnovers. So, you know, and then again, it's just the worst defense is the worst defense. Like we've seen it now, like Sam Darnold looked like, like Joe Montana against them. Gardner Minshew, by the way, who I don't even think is as bad as some people like to think. I think he's one of probably one of the best backup quarterbacks in the NFL. So that didn't really surprise me that much. And also like when you hear comments from players saying, oh, we didn't prep for Gardner Minshew, that kind of bothers me and annoys me. But again, with Taysom Hill, like banged up a little bit, Jameis isn't there. Um, The Mike Thomas situation, like nothing left to say. Um, Kamara back is like, that's insane. That's really scary considering the, the, the wide receiver kind of threat that he could be. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, on paper, you're right, but in terms of winning the game, I agree with you, but you know, the spread is, is, is nothing insane. I like eventually, I think they're doing a better job of competing at certain points, but, but again, like you see the defense and you're like, what? It's nothing to say. It's like the worst Jets defense I've ever seen. No yeah. joke. Like yeah. I'm only 26. This has got to be the worst one I've seen. Yeah. And I funny, I said going into the season after the Carl loss here, I said the number for them is probably going to be five wins. And they're at three. I think they think they mm. can pick up two wins down the stretch here. I think they're going to end up at exactly at five. That's I think they're right to get there. Started taking a weirder route than they thought they would. I think this is one this is one of the longer shot ones, but again against the Dolphins, even if the Dolphins are playing the Dol- Dolphins were not impressive against the Jets. Like I'm really tired of this stuff. Like Tua plays great for quote unquote great for like four stretches of games against garbage teams, and all of a sudden, like we're led to believe that he's the second coming of Dan Marino because when Sam Darnold played four straight great games, he wasn't anything because he's the Jets quarterback, you know. Like to me, that's just silly. So I don't buy in to that Dolphins stuff um 
the Jaguars is clearly one on their calendar that they could beat. I'm not like that worried about a very dysfunctional lot. The only, only place that's more dysfunctional than them right now. Um, and even, I wouldn't even say label the Jets as dysfunctional. They're just really bad. Yeah. Um, I think that's more of a, a fair take to say dysfunctions, Adam Gase and, and horrendous is Adam Gase. You know, he's both of those things. Salah is not, it's not dysfunctional. There isn't anything bad coming out of there. Um, so, yeah, I, listen, I, I think they can get to five. I think a lot of people are happy with five to six. Anywhere with three, I think people are going to get pissed off. But, again, the way, like, the record transpires, like, a lot of people didn't see the Pats being better. A lot of people didn't see the Dolphins doing that. I thought the Dolphins were the third best team in the division, so I'm happy about this. This is hilarious to me. It, like, they were supposed to be fighting for a playoff spot, and they look mediocre, if anything. Um, so, yeah, I listen, I think there's that for the taking, and, and again, not to harp on Jets-Dolphins, but Jets-Dolphins is always a tougher matchup than some people would like to believe. It's, yeah. ju- it's just true. You know, when the when the Dolphins have the, the good expectations and high expectations, the Jets come in and beat them when they shouldn't. And when the Jets have the higher expectations and should beat the Dolphins when they should, they don't. And, and that's kind of a lot of what the past decade has been for both franchises. Yeah. For sure. Let's get to the pick. The reason why you're here this week. My buddy Phil Lombardo was here last week. He went one and two on the week. He won with the Seahawks getting a three and a half against the Niners at home. He had the Raiders laying two and a half against Washington. They lost that game outright. He had the Bills laying two and a half Monday night in Martin. That was the strangest game I've ever seen with all the wind and the Patriots throwing three times. The final I wanted to put, so I told my friends I want a hundred on New England at plus one thirty. Yeah. I was like, why is anyone with the Bills in their situation struggling the way they were. Why would anyone want to bet against the greatest coach of all time? Not only the greatest coach of all time, the greatest bad weather coach of all time. Why would you want to do it? Like he proved he's a chess match master when his quarterback threw three passes. Yeah, they won. Yeah, be fair to Phil though, but the weather was report was not really out by the time he made that pick. So uh, well, okay. Well, well, yeah, I didn't know about that, but like just in saying in, in general, anyways, I was just like speaking from a gambling perspective. Yeah, like yeah. I was like, oh, oh, I wanted that so bad. And I was so, I was beating myself up about it because I didn't do it. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I went one and two also. I laid the big one with the Colts, laid the nine and a half. They won easily. I went heads up with him on the night on the Niners game. I had them laying a three and a half. I lost that one. I had the Bengals laying three. I thought I had a chance to come back then. They were charging against the Chargers, but that Joe Mixon fumbles took all the momentum out of them again. And they went one and two. Hmm. Yeah. Um, that it, it, it's real tough. It's just, it's just a weird year because you're kind of get back, getting back into the swing of things, but there's so many interchangeable parts within the NFL this year, like teams that we all thought were going to be good or not good. And some other teams that we thought would get off to better start and starts and players get off to better starts. They just haven't. So it's kind of been a difficult year to read in all sports, though. You know, it's just not an NFL thing like some people would like to think. NBA is hard. Baseball is hard. Soccer is a little bit harder, too. Um, but, yeah, I mean, NFL is rough. NFL is. So on the year, Teen Challenger 15, 23, and 1. They've had a rough year. I'm only 20 and 19. I'm happy I'm over 500. But this year has not been easy. No. Um, again, if – the way betting works or, or everyone should think about is, are you up money? If you're in the green, you win, man. That's it. That's all that matters. Don't matter like your record, you know, it, it really just, just get in the green, man. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Like I was looking at my futures yesterday. I'm so screwed, man. <laughs> There's some of the stuff I put down and for soccer stuff. Oh my goodness. Thought I was getting in at a great number. Now I'm looking at like, okay, like good thing. I don't have to pay these for months because it's going to happen in May, but yeah. 
All right, so we are getting set here. Three picks, as always, every week. You are the guest. You may go first. So where are you going with pick number one? Uh, pick number one, going with the Pittsburgh Steelers in Minnesota. Steelers are not that good, but I don't respect the Vikings. C.J. Mosley talks about the Jets not being respected. I don't think there's a, a franchise that I respect less and a player I respect less in prime time, and that's Kirk Cousins and, and the Minnesota Vikings against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Short and weak, yeah, but... Give me the Steelers. The, the Vikings are frauds like usual. Yeah, and you're getting three points. It's also a nice bonus. I mean, that's I mean, like that that that's the thing again. Like even it, even if they do end up losing, I expect a, a tough and close game. I, the the Vikings aren't all that feeling, not looking too hot or to play. So again, yeah. All right, that's pick number one. You're going with pick number two. Um, I am going with the Denver Broncos. Let me scroll on down because I had them. Minus nine and a half at home. Real difficult place to play at this time of year. The Lions are coming off a, a, a nice win for them. You know, um, just Dan Campbell, good vibes. I, it's just like you feel bad if the Lions were going to go 0-17. First team to go 0-16. They were going to be the first team to go 0-17. But I don't, I don't see that happening again. I think the Broncos have plenty of weapons. Williams is doing amazing for them. He was a great fantasy steal for a lot of people this year. Jerry Judy back, one of the best route runners around. I really do like Denver in that weather. And again, dome team going outside on the road. Um, this late into the season, no thank you. Give me the Broncos. I love that pick, too, just because this is a game also. Detroit got their win. Now they're going to be happy for a week. They go on the road as a team that has a lot to play for, and Denver is a very good defensive team. That game could get very ugly very quickly. Yeah, totally agree. All right, where are you going with pick number three? Uh, pick number three is the number three for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home against the Buffalo Bills. Listen, the Bills are decomposing as we speak. I don't think this window of a championship is close for them, considering some of the injuries that they have, sure. But again, this has not been a season of success for them. Like, think about it, coming off one of your best runs in years, probably since you got close to those Super Bowl championships, where you go and face the Chiefs in the AFC title game, and now the New England Patriots are back, better than you, beat you in your own yard. Now you have to go face the guy that always beats you. And that's Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. And again, December football, December time. Like, he's the greatest quarterback of all time. And minus three at home, like, listen, I don't think this is going to be a beatdown. The Bills can hang with them, and this Bucks defense isn't as great as it used to be. But I, I I, do not find the Buffalo Bills to be a threat for the Super Bowl. And with that, I don't think they're going to lose by at least three points against the Bucks. Yeah, and Tom Brady at home. And Tom Brady's talking, oh, we got this is the biggest game of our season. We have to get up for this game. He's got to make sure that team is not avoid a letdown in that game. So that's a dangerous spot for the Bills. Yeah, absolutely. And, th and this could like slide into something awful where they get a terrible playoff matchup off of this. I know they're going to come in. They're going to come out hot. They're definitely embarrassed after what happened. But again, man, I, I just these these are kind of the things where you also find out about how good Josh Allen is, how good McDermott is. And some of the comments made by McDermott trying to say, let's not applaud Bill for winning a game like that. Like, you know, something about that. There's a lot of bitterness and a lack of focus in his voice. And I just don't like comments like that. So so personally, I'm just off on the Bills in general. And this is just one of those examples. Why. All right. There you have the Martino's picks. I'm up now. Pick number one. I'm going to go back to laying some big wood again. I'm going to take the Packers laying 12 and a half at home on Sunday against the Bears. And the Bears are a dumpster fire. Matt Nagy probably would have been fired already. And if it wasn't for the fact that the Bears never fire coaches in season, I think that would be something they strongly consider. 
Justin Fields coming back. He not looked great against Green Bay the first time around. The Packers coming off the bye. They're refreshed. Aaron Rodgers owns the Bears famously. And this is a spot where Green Bay will look to embarrass Chicago here. I think this is a spot where they can put up a big number. 12 and a half is a lot to lay, but I think this is a game that could be like a three touchdown win for the Packers. I'm going to lay the big wood. I'm going to lay the number, the 12 and a half for the Packers, pick one. Yeah, uh, Aaron Jones coming back too. Kind of a big boost if he gets more touches in this. Yeah, for sure. That's pick number one. Pick number two. And I'm going to go to a dog here. I'm going to take the Washington football team getting four at home against the Cowboys. And I think this one to me is interesting because Washington is red hot. They won four in a row. They're climbing back into the wild card position here. And I think getting four points at home in a divisional game is very enticing to me, especially when you consider that Dallas not looked great about the last month and a half. It reminds the fact that, yeah, they got a nice win against the Saints. Saints had nobody playing that game. I don't trust the way they're playing. I don't trust the running game right now for Dallas. Need to give it more to Pollard instead of Zeke. I don't know if they will yet. This is a dangerous spot here. I think this is a three-point game. I'm getting fours. I'll take the points and take Washington. Yeah, again, the, I, I this was something that I was like looking at. I was like, do I really want to take like the Cowboys or like Washington in it? Uh, in, in this, for me, it's just too much of a talk. I think it's great if you like Washington in this. This is like probably one of the better numbers on the board. Probably would have been a fourth pick if I got to pick one. But again, like you can't trust the Cowboys. You can't trust what you've seen so far. Um, and, and again, you're right. Coming off that win against the Saints, like yeah, cool, you scored points, but like you have some other lingering issues there. Uh, again, yeah, I think Washington can easily pull this off in, in their own backyard. I, I wouldn't get too scared off about the winning streak either, because that's probably what's turning off a lot of people. So can they win five in a row? But, you know, that's the way people go. That's for sure. Pick number two. Pick number three. I'm going on Monday night. I'm going to take the Cardinals laying two and a half at home against the Rams. This is for me is an indictment on Stafford and Sean McVay, because this team does not win games against good teams. They had the win against Tampa week three. They've come up small in every big spot since. The Rams are a bully team. They're going to beat up the bad teams they did against Jacksonville last week. Against the good teams, they shrink. They shrunk against the Packers. They shrunk against the Cardinals the first time. They shrunk against the 49ers on Monday Night Football in games they should have won. I think it's going to happen again. I think the Cardinals are going to ice the division here, pick up the big win. I'm only laying two and a half. So I think it's a closer game than that, but I'm going to take the Cardinals here, laying the two and a half for the final pick of the week. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not shocked by it, but you mentioned the record against winning teams. Isn't that, you know, the epitome of Matt Stafford's career as a quarterback being ripped for not winning games against teams that are over 500? And it's kind of translated over here, regardless of Jared Goff's not working out in Detroit. Again, Kyler Murray back. He's healthy. They're, they're clear best team in this division, too. I mean, the rest are a disaster outside of, like, the Rams beating up on the bad teams, like you mentioned. I, I do like Arizona like this at home. Pressure's on L.A., man. It really is like Cardinals play with house money here. No one kind of expected the division winner. After the Rams made that trade for Matt Stafford, it was like, go, go, go. This is a chance for the Super Bowl. It's a little wide open compared to recent years. And again, that defense is not as elite as some people thought it would be. So for me, yeah, I totally get it. I think that's a good pick too. All right, so reset the picks here. Martino is getting three with the Steelers on Thursday against the Minnesota Vikings. He's laying nine and a half with Denver at home against Detroit. He's laying the three with Tom Brady and the Buccaneers at home against the Buffalo Bills. I am laying 12 and a half with the Green Bay Packers at home against the Chicago Bears Sunday Night Football. I am taking the four points with Washington at home against the Dallas Cowboys. And I am laying the two and a half at home with the Arizona Cardinals against the Rams on Monday Night Football. And those are your picks for week number 14 on the podcast. Coming up next week, we're going to Go talk about those Steelers a little bit. Alex Fasano is coming on the line. We're going to talk Steelers, talk some fantasy football. Got some good stuff coming with Faz.
I love Faz. Faz is great. Big Islanders fan, by the way. I'm going there this weekend to watch Devils Islanders. Um, so I'm excited about that. I, I might hit him up, see if he's going. Um, big Steelers fan. So I, I I haven't texted him about Big Ben yet. I have a couple Steelers people that I that I'm interested in. It's like it's like the guy's got to hang it up at this point. Uh, I know I took him. I know I took him, but still, um, like this, like every time I see him, I'm just like, why are you doing that to your body? Yeah. I'll definitely talk to him about uh, Big Ben next week. I also got to give one report back from you on the parking situation at UBS. I've heard it's a legendary nightmare. Is it? Well, I'm going to be taking the train in from the city, so I, I shouldn't be worrying about that too much. But I, I will actually like look at and, and get some interest for it. Because, the, again, I mean, shocker, parking New York um, at a sporting event is a, is a mess. Like last time I went to the Met, it was like Mets Dodgers over the summer. That was a disaster, too, with the parking there. Um, but obviously that was a sold out crowd. But again, UBS, all right, I'll, I'll let you know. I'll come back with some tabs and I'll give you some notes for the next episode then. All right, that sounds good to me. And before I let you go, have you been keeping up with the curb? Are you, are you on tabs or are you a little behind? Oh my God, I kicked myself in the in the, in the ass for this because, because I haven't watched the past few weeks because I've just been so like deep into work. I, I, I saw a clip that had to be from a new episode. It was on TikTok. And I was just sitting there. I was like, that's hysterical. I have to get back to watch all the episodes. I think I think he was talking to Seth Rogen. So yes, he was. That was uh, that was think like last week. Um, yeah. So it was the it was the clip they were talking about. Oh, I pretend to be stupid. Um, Seth Rogen was saying, and then Larry's like saying that he's pretending to be mean, even though he's nice, so people won't talk to him. And I was like, that's that's classic Larry. Like that's hysterical, and I couldn't stop laughing. Um, so so I was like, okay, I got to go back and go watch that anytime uh, or as soon as I can. So. Um, Probably after this, I might just sit down, binge, what was it, maybe like four episodes? I haven't seen, I got halfway through the second episode of yeah. this season. So I think they're probably like episode five right now. They they're just wrapped up. Episode seven. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, well, <laughs> damn, that's how long ago I was on I was on the show. Yeah, it just shows how fast time flies when when you're just like literally working inside. Um, but yeah, I, I how, how's it been? It's is, been, it, is it fair to ask you the question? It's it's been very good. Honestly, there have been a few episodes I think were classics. There's like one or two that were just okay, but they had I think episode three and four was probably the best two episodes of Stretch at Curve in a while. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I take your word for it, obviously, because because I respect you for that, because I don't really know that many other people. I have been wrapped up and tuned into the newest uh Always Sunny in Philadelphia episode. So I have been so super excited to watch that because those people uh, on that show, like Rob McElhaney, uh and all of them, like they're, they're, I think they're some of the funniest people. I think those two shows are two of the five funniest shows to ever um, exist. And, and in my personal opinion, the two best of my life. Um, you know, there was other really good um, sitcoms and shows, but I'm telling you, man, I don't know how much of Always Sunny you've watched, or if you watched any, that right there goes toe to toe with Curb, in my opinion. If you get the sense of humor, it goes toe to toe with it. Anyone else listening? I just promise me if if you, if you value my opinion somewhat on this kind of stuff, I know you probably value it for sports. But listen, uh, you won't ever regret starting Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And every person I put onto that show has said the same thing. And I've also done the same for Curb, by the way. We put Joe D on for that, and I'm happy he liked it. So yeah, he didn't like Always Sunny though. Actually, now that I think about it, he was the only one. It just wasn't for him. So um, yeah. All right, there you have it. I recommend you check that out. Martino, if you want to follow you on Twitter, how can they do that? Yeah, just follow me at Martino Puccio on Twitter. Um, 
kind of kind of dull with the Mets stuff. The Jets is just really once a week. I don't even like try and bother listening midweek on stuff um, outside of like, you know, major events. But yeah, um, I, I'm super dude, Max, because we this is the first time like audio um, too that we've talked like Max Scherzer is just, you know, I was kind of getting the goosebumps when I was reading um, an article that John Harper like put together for SMY. I don't know if you read it. And, and Ronnie Darling made some comments on Max. And he's like, I think Max is the Gary Carter type for this team where he changes the whole mentality. There's more accountability. There's less pressure on Jacob deGrom. There's a, there's a champion in the clubhouse, right? Lindor was close, but he's still a little bit like a kid. Max is one of the five best pitchers I've ever seen in my life, you know, and, and to get somebody like that within the team. I mean, honestly, like it's, it's still weird to me. I know we did it, but you and I both know this. The title of, the, of, of your show is about this. I, I, I Like the Mets never used to do stuff like this. They never have. They never have. They've never done anything like this before. I, I know like some people compare the 2004 winter prior to the 2005 season when they got Beltran and, and Pedro. This right here, man, I like I have to say, and I know you just asked for the social media. <laughs> it's it's honestly like the greatest like thing. And, and, and I know a championship matters more than that. This is like F you, this is what the new Mets are about. And when we see what's going on across town, and it's not even to pick on them and to see how frustrated they all are and the, and the insecurities coming to light about the situation and how we're doing that. I'm telling you right now, I told Will this too. It's exactly what it's like to be a Manchester city fan where the guy across town is cooler than you. He's better looking than you. He gets more women. He makes more money. Everyone likes him more. And you're just kind of yourself off to the side. You get your wins on occasion every now and then, but it's a sad existence in general. But now someone comes in, they help you off your feet and completely change the mentality. And I think that's what's going to happen. I also think they are going to hire David Stearns next year. And this mic right here, is just on the doorstep of things. Because I was also, re- and again, I know I'm going long with this, but if you look at the top-end talent in the farm system and what they can bring up over a two-year span too, right? Like Mauricio's not that far off. We're talking about Alvarez, Mauricio, you get like McCann off the book. Like there is just so much potential like to be there. We're also bridging the gap and retooling the farm system because we know what's going to happen next year. And Hopefully you get one of the best executives in baseball with a blank check budget. Holy shit. Excuse for the cursing. Like that's it's, it's legitimate. It's legitimate. And like, this is why I bought into it. This is why all my friends that were, you know, ripping uncle Stevie, just a couple of friends of mine, this is it. You have to give an owner time. And I just, I get, I get fever dreams sometimes thinking about people making compilations with, you know, Steve Cohen's press press conference when he, when he first got the team saying, I consider it a failure if this team does not win a world championship within three to five years. Like, it's just, there's personally, I haven't had this vibe about the Mets since 2006 when I didn't know any better and they were super talented and, and, and had the opportunity to easily win the World Series. I have, like, get to October, boys, and then let's rock, basically, is what I, all I got to say at that. Yeah, I'll also say, if they get to October, I should be able to be there because I am a 20-game plant holder now for the Mets, so I will have access to plenty of games this year. Hey, let's go. Congratulations on that. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, listen, 
Um, I've been there for playoff baseball kind of when we knew we were like on this magic carpet ride in 2015. It's different when I was there in 2006 and I was there in 2015, right? Like I was there for like the biggest of games, game two NLCS 2006, game three of the World Series 2015. I was at the biggest of big games that you could go in recent Mets memory. I'm telling you, the vibe in in 2006 was like immaculate with Shea. 2015 at City was just rocking, and that was like more Mets magic. When you have the aspect, like, this team can, like, win. We were kind of, like, at, at, at the point in 2015 where we're like, okay, eventually it's kind of maybe going to run out this magic, right? Like, we can't expect to constantly do this and – bat terribly against one of the greatest bullpens to ever exist in the Royals. So I don't know. I, I, there's still holes to fill. There's still holes to fill And Jesus Christ. Good God. If Carlos Correa or Chris Bryant comes as well, I mean, like, I don't even know what to say. I, I, re- I really wouldn't because like Mike, again, think about a couple of years from now, you had Alvarez Beatty who could go replace Bryant who could move to the DH role or the slugger that is Pete goes to the DH role and Bryant maybe picks up first base or something like, and then you add Ronnie Mauricio to it where you trade one of those guys for an amazing player. Like, good Lord, like good Lord, seriously. Like that's, I I, I wouldn't know what to say. It's, it's like playing MVP baseball again, where I just traded for all the best players. <laughs> that's, that's what it's like. Absolutely. We're going to talk more Mets next week on the podcast. We do a Met chat then, but Martino, thanks for all the time today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Uh, appreciate you having me on. It's always fun um, chatting with you. Um, and finally, there's some positive vibes on the team that we both root for. Sorry about the Knicks being a little bit mediocre as well, but thanks again. <laughs> yeah. The Two Minute Drill. All right, Two Minute Drill here. I'm getting to the college football playoff here. The matchups are here, and they're about what we expected given the results on Saturday. Alabama dominated Georgia in the SEC title game. They secured their spot at number one. They pushed Georgia down to three. Michigan took care of business with Iowa. Dominated the SEC. Dominated the Big Ten title game, excuse me. They earned that two seed, and they're matching up with Georgia. The four, Cincinnati, won the AAC, the only undefeated team left in the country. Became the first team outside of the Power Five schools to make the playoff, which is fantastic. And the crazy thing, there was almost no controversy here. Oklahoma State, which was five, entering the week, lost to Baylor. They caused us a shot at the playoff. Notre Dame was at five, at six going into the week. They're five now. They already lost Cincinnati home by double digits at the end of the year. Ohio State had two losses. Oregon had a couple losses and lost in the Pac-12 title game to Utah. And there was no real whining. Oh, we should have had this team in, should have had that team in. The right four got in. I will disappoint that the committee set the matches this way where it feels inevitable to end up with the SEC rematch of the title game again. Cincinnati's already a two-touchdown on August Alabama, and even most people would say that this is a down year for the Crimson Tide. They have way more talent than Cincinnati. I think it's great for the Bearcats that got in and good for the Willow guys to say, hey, if you do it right and you schedule right, you can get in. I think the odds are the Magic Heart right does come to an end here. Michigan also deserves a lot of credit here. They finally beat Ohio State. They got the monkey off the hardballs back here. They're the first team ever that was unranked in the first AP poll to make the playoff. But they get this fortune of drawing Georgia. Probably the best team in this country. Off a bad loss. They're going to be pissed off. Big talent edge, I think, is a big issue here. Georgia's a nine-point favorite. I think they're going to win. The question here, obviously, is to be, can this team ever beat Alabama in a big spot? 
They've lost title games to Alabama. They've lost the SEC championship game to them numerous times. This is a down Alabama team. If Georgia can't beat them now, just go home. Fall the 10th. I don't want to hear from you guys. I think the real issue to me is that we do need to expand this thing to eight. Once Oklahoma State lost in the early window, there was almost no drama here left to be had. We didn't have any real stakes of having Alabama potentially fall out of the mix they lost. The 18 playoff here ensures access to the playoff for all five Power 5 champs. It's been an issue for the Pac-12 for a while. They feel they can't get in. You punch your ticket and win the conference championship game. That's easy. You have three wild cards in the mix you know, for teams that don't get in. And yes, it would be taking these stakes away from Alabama, Georgia. It's the only for seeding as opposed to Alabama being in or out. But you would have stakes on the Big 12 game, on the Pac-12 game, on the ACC game. You have stakes on all those. If we had that this year, you would have Notre Dame in because they would be the top team that was not in a power conference. You have Pittsburgh, Baylor, and Utah in the field. And that extra game, which I think is probably end up being played on campus in a quarterfinal round. I think I add some more randomness here. Which I think you need because the college football playoff often feels like the Alabama Invitational. Where Alabama is there with three random teams we're seeing if anybody can beat them. You add an extra game in here where Alabama has to have a good team go down to Brian Denny Stadium. I think that makes it more fun. I think you got some more upsets potentially here. I think you get the, the students involved more, which is fantastic. I think this is going to be a ish question of when, not if, the playoff expands. I don't think these go to 12. I think 12 is too many. I think eight's the right number. It seems like four was just the beginning. I think we're going to get to eight eventually, probably by 2025. The sooner the better, though. And with that, I want to thank my guests for this week's show, Troy Morrell for hopping on. Spending just over 45 minutes talking some college hoops, getting caught up in everything going on in the world of college basketball this month. We'll do it again as the season gets closer to the start of conference play in January. I also want to thank uh, Martina Pucci for hopping on the line to do the NFL picks for week number 14. Definitely a lot of fun there. You want to make stuff like this podcast, including I made a guest appearance on the Locked On Jets podcast with friends of the podcast, John Butchko. We talked about Jets Eagles, a little bit of the Jets future. Check that out. I put a link to it on the blog over justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering, your favorite podcast platforms, and find all episodes there. Feel free for your feedback and starring as well. Help with the podcast even better going forward. Go check out the YouTube page, Mike Phelps on YouTube. Video version of the chats with Troy and Martina are up there right now. So again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. You want to check that out. There's a follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. It's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And that's going to do it for this week's podcast. Coming up next week on the show, we're going to talk about the Mets offseason. A lot of busy stuff happening here. Big moves, manager coming in potentially, do the NFL picks and more. Until then, we have a better week than Vikings fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.